Just look at this studio filled with fabulous prizes. Ooh. All waiting to be won on Score North's... Pick your prize! Behind door number one is a $10,000 gift card to Chanhassen Dinner Theaters for shows, concerts, food, and beverage. Ooh. Door number two has $10,000 in home improvements for your kitchen, bathroom, windows, and more from Minnesota Rusco and Companies. Ah. And behind door number three, LASIK eye procedure from Dr. Lobanoff at Ovo LASIK and Lens. And a fantastic vacation. No surprise zoinks. What you want, you pick. 14 prizes in all, each valued at $10,000. Sign up for Score North's Pick Your Prize. You can register daily through the Score North app or go to scorenorth.com keyword prize. Sweepstakes begins March 18th. Special thanks to our prize partners. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. That's right, the football hour. Zolgad, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, Manny Hill until uh, 6 o'clock, in which time we uh, transition to the uh, Purple Live hour, where you guys will talk a ton of Vikings. All right, let's start off with this one. Speaking of, hold on a second. Football! Football, yeah! Football! That's my favorite part. Gotta eat. That's the most underrated part That's of the Mackie entire That's Mackie impromptu, too. No that, script, not told to, just came up with that line. Wait, who are all the voices in that? Harrigan, me, and Mackie. Okay. But it's all spontaneous. It's, it's all very spontaneous. I could have believed that that was uh, maybe Phil inside of a huddle trying to get the uh, team hyped up like Kirk I don't Cousins. think Linville Joseph would ask would ask Phil to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't okay. know if Phil has what it takes to be question, the unquestionable though. leader of the Vikings. I got to eat line. I got a question about that. <laughs> okay. Is Linville making Kirk do this because Kirk inspires, or do, do they just find it so amusing they can't help themselves? <laughs> oh, man. I think it's... I'm right. I actually have an article coming about on uh, out about this tomorrow, and that it's a really unique territory for Kirk to be in because this is not who he is. Cause it kind of comes across as a little awkward to it, to a degree just with, you know, and he, and he's a quirky guy. I mean, he's, you know, a self-proclaimed nerd, all these things that I think that's why he shied away from doing it before. And that, you know, if he, someone's got to bring him out of his shell, if it's going to be a 329 pound nose tackle who was doing this really in place of Everson Griffin. I know that they said that, over the last few games, it's been a rotation. This is Everson's job. Mm-hmm. Like this is what he's done for the last, um, you know, last few seasons, and Brian Robeson before that. That you know, it, it's interesting now to see Kirk do it. But you know, I'm sure that guys. I mean, it was funny watching this last one. I have the quote here. Um, when he was talking about what Dan Gable said, none of those dudes knew who the heck Dan Gable was, the Iowa wrestling yes, coach. Yeah. Um, and they were so fired up that they wouldn't even let Kirk finish. He kind of be like, wait, wait, wait. And then he's just like, when I shoot, I score. When you shoot, I score. And then they all flipped out and yeah, rah, rah. And so I don't know. I'm sure someone yelled, got eaten there sometime too. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely different hearing Kirk break down the huddle and kind of hear what his message is because he's not somebody like Griffin. Like my favorite Everson Griffin moment from probably covering the Vikings was the uh, pregame speech in Washington last year 
which had, I believe, six curse words in the matter of three sentences. It's pretty amazing. That's not going to be Kirk. Uh, I think that Kirk should send a thank you letter to Jameis Winston because once Jameis Winston <laughs> ate a W, he, everyone looks good. Everyone is good at this. After Jameis Winston said, I'm going to eat a W and started sucking on his fingers. So you could quote anybody. You could be like Martha Washington said, fellas. <laughs> and they'd be like, all right, at least he's not eating a W. I, I do think that it is a little awkward for him that it maybe isn't his uh, forte, in part because his previous organization never bought into to him fully and even from some of the jabs that Washington players and possibly the head coach as well took at him on the way out uh, they didn't really feel like that was his thing necessarily but you know I think it's a cool little video and it's fun for the fans to share around but with his leadership style I think where it's going to have to be tweaked along the way is in the accountability category sure. not so much in the can you scream until your voice breaks up and everyone just goes yeah, yeah, yeah even though they weren't really listening to you <laughs> yeah I mean a lot of it at that point nonsensical talking I mean anybody can really do that but <laughs> except to, James Winston except James Winston <laughs> uh, but to get that to really translate, because, you know, standing in the huddle, it's kind of that, you know, symbolic. You're in the center of everything and you're right. the focal point of this franchise, but it goes so much more than just 20 seconds of rah rah. Like, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, at this point in your career with $84 million resting on your shoulders and the expectations of this franchise, you can't just be a guy who says, you know, I'm going to fall back on my play being the leadership. You have to. The greatest teams in this sport have their undeniable leader as their quarterback. I mean, sure, there have been other instances, Brian Urlacher in Chicago, Ray Lewis with the Ravens, where it's been other positions, but I think it is important to have your quarterback be that guy and not just be the visible centerpiece of that, too. I mean, like what Matthew said, you know, the accountability factor, you know, that's that I think goes across the board, where that is a huge part of leadership. It's not just what you say before a game, it's taking things upon yourself when it when things don't go right and I mean, we've seen instances of that so far I mean I asked him about the two what happened with um not with you know after they spike the ball and it gets a delay right. of game you're going to want to see more of that as the you know as your leader do you think when when he's asked those questions when I watch him respond I think he knows he's supposed to say it's on me mm-hmm. I also don't necessarily buy that he truly believes that I don't know. There's something about when when you ask that question, he defaulted to, yeah, it's on, but I'm looking at him answering that question, and I'm saying to myself, you're saying what you're supposed to say. I don't know that you're buying into what you're saying yourself. So an interesting thing, today I asked a former NFL wide receiver what he wanted for his quarterback when it came to leadership. And one of the things he brought up was in the two-minute drill, you better seem like you're really in charge. And you better seem like you know what you're doing. And so far, aside from one great throw to Adam Thielen in Green Bay, and there were some good drives in overtime of that game too, but none of them got to the end zone to finish the deal, um, he hasn't been very good when it comes to these two-minute drills. He messed it up in Los Angeles. He messed it up again this week. And just decisions and not getting the snap off and looking a little bit over-anxious when it came to those situations. And that was interesting because I didn't think of that. We've talked about his press conferences and all that and whether he's blaming Riley Reef for fumbles and whatever else it might be. But the way that he looks inside the huddle, he's always prepared 
And throughout the game, you think this is an NFL quarterback who has full control of this offense. He's moving the ball. But in those situations, his antsiness shows a little bit there. And maybe it's because defenses know you have to pass and they're playing two deep safeties and they're not um, leaving too much wide open and you've really got to make plays at that point. Or maybe it's just that things start moving a little quick for him because this was an issue in Washington. This is the guy who kneeled instead of spiking it once. At mm-hmm. the end of a game against Philadelphia, and so well, I that's think, just not understanding situational football, right? And I which think that's an boils issue down to that, yeah. yeah. As far as the accountability factor, yeah. And I think that if you're in the huddle, that if you're going to ask one question about his leadership, you don't really care if he screams. And in a lot of ways, if you win, you're like, whatever, blame right. me, blame me, man. Right. You want to blame me for that fumble? Blame me. But the one thing that's going to make you question him is what actually happens out there. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, and I think that he. So my. my Observation of him so far through six games is this. I think athletically, arm talent-wise, let's talk about that. He's very good. I think the game at times mentally moves fairly quick for him. Yeah. And I think we've seen that. And and the it, here's my problem. I don't know that the issues that Kirk Cousins have are correctable. I think you almost need to fix them around him, but by either getting him more help with what to do about the clock at times and or and or actually go go to him and saying, if you sense pressure, take the sack. At his age, Courtney, I don't know that there's things that you say to yourself, you know what, October 16th, let's reteach him these things. It's what I brought up with the delay of game. He's tied for ninth most. He didn't like that question, by the way. I know he didn't. You really didn't like that question. You were supposed to give him a, man, but you played great today question at the end. He didn't like. I just, I wanted to know the processing there because it's been a trend throughout his career that since 2015, he's tied for ninth most, 17 total delay of game penalties, which, you know, for for someone that, you know, I do think that we look at the bigger picture here. It's the processing with situational football Either you have it or you don't. Either you're a leader or you're not. I think it all falls within that same category of something that you just can't reteach somebody. Despite all the brain training and everything else that he does, I just think that this is an area of his game where at times it can be a weakness because at times he's not going to follow, he's not going to come through the way he needs to. I mean, as Matthew said, we've seen numerous two minute drives and some of that too. I mean, I go back to that, the two minute drives from the uh, first half and, and really the second half of the uh, 49ers game. I think some of that was on coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think all of that was on Kirk, but you know, not being able to sense pressure. That to me is a little, you know, for somebody who's, as we, we've seen statistically, is so good under pressure, and especially against the Eagles' pass rush, um, in, in the way that they were getting to him, it was a little baffling to me to watch, you know, two plays back to back, the pressure coming off the same side from the same player, getting sacked both times, the second leading to a fumble. Why that wasn't corrected the second time around, which was, you know, one play later. Did you guys watch Aaron Rodgers last night and think, oh boy? That is just the situational football oh, stuff. It's not close. That is the Lord Master Samurai putting on a demonstration, even down to thinking about, well, you know, maybe they could kick off and get a mm-hmm. one last play or something. So I'm going to huck it out of bounds to make sure they don't have enough. When time. my coach is saying, don't do it, and you say, 
Mike, I got this. And I don't know if he did this on purpose, but that also allowed Mason Crosby to have the whole time, the whole 40 seconds of play clock to wander out there and get it all lined up and kick the field goal. It was brilliant. It was throwing to the sidelines. It was knowing exactly how much time was on the play clock. It's just a masterful, genius performance. You see the same thing from Drew Brees on a week-to-week basis, and we certainly saw it in the playoffs by Drew Brees here. And I know that that's, that shouldn't be the standard for Kirk Cousins, but it made me think about the big picture of this thing, that when it comes to Cousins, there are going to be some of these shortcomings, that there are going to be some turnovers that frustrate you. There's going to be some delay of games that frustrate you and all those things. That is why the rest of this team has to improve its performance, even from these last two wins. They have to even be better than they were around him if we're to believe that he's going to go into the playoffs and beat someone like the Rams or beat Aaron Rodgers when it comes down to big situations. I mean, that's what we said about the Packers. They were weaker at every single position going into week two than at quarterback. And even on a very hobbled knee, Aaron Rodgers was able to do what he did. And I mean, you take a look at that body of work from last night. And yes, I know that there's... All of the criticism out there that it took that to beat C.J. Beathard in the San Francisco 49ers. Okay, but you don't look at, a, at what Aaron Rodgers did under two minutes in starting at his own 10-yard line and not say that that's a masterful understanding of situational football and how to control literally everything that's out there. We talk about what Kirk says, control what you can control. Aaron Rodgers did more than what he could control. It was 10 others out there and picking apart the defense on three separate throws that got them within field goal range to begin with. Football! Football, yeah! yeah. yeah. Happy! Happy! Yeah. Happy. Plenty of more football talk on the Football Hour coming up. But first, it's time to talk to my good friend, Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you are. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, man. On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic here from the TCL Broadcast Studios, 94 Westbound. We have a crash in Minneapolis. Uh, that is uh, between Cedar Avenue and Highway 55. And uh, good luck if you're headed westbound on 94. That crash is adding 29 minutes to your commute. Good luck to you. And uh, you also have that uh, overturned semi-trailer there near uh, 94 Eastbound, near uh, the Highway 52 exit. The exit is closed. And uh, it will be closed for the next two hours. Third and 15 here. And they trip him up and take him down. DeForest Buckner. And a flag is down. All the way back at the 37. Illegal contact. Defense. the 25. Five-yard penalty. Automatic first down. All right, Collar and Cronin. Question for you off of that call last night in the uh, in the Packers Niners game, which was tied at that time at thirty all, and then the Packers drove down and won the game. In today's league, right now, do teams like the Vikings have enough offense to combat the fact that if you're playing the Packers, who aren't as good as you, they've got a quarterback who's superior, but they're not as good personnel wise as you. Do the Vikings have a team that is built that can that can win crucial games against teams like this? Because the Richard Sherman call, while probably accurate in 2018, he spun Adams. He just spun him. Like, he didn't grab him. He didn't mug him. He didn't do 
And and there, but for the grace of God, goes Xavier Rhodes in, in a crucial January game. And as good as the Vikings' defense might be, that's going to undo you potentially. And this has been an issue for Xavier Rhodes, actually, right? I mean, people ask all the time, hey, why isn't his pro football focus grade higher than it is? I mean, he's one of the top corners in the league, which is true when it comes down to shutting uh, down the best wide receivers in the league. But one of the things he gets dinged for constantly is these holding penalties, illegal contact penalties, pass interference, and then it doesn't help that he kicked a penalty flag <laughs> in a game either. That and led to a touchdown the next play because he was benched. It may makes for a really tough go for cornerbacks when they cannot make contact, especially if you're a physical cornerback like Richard Sherman still is at his older age. And and I thought, like, per what the rules are, that was a penalty. That was the right call. But you mentioned it earlier. He's been doing that for years and getting away with it mostly. It was Seattle's entire strategy to just commit pass interference on every play and dare the referees to actually call it. And if they are going to actually call it, that makes things a little more challenging. But to your question, I think the answer is yes if... A lot of things go the right way for the Vikings. Thielen and Diggs stay healthy. How about Delvin Cook at some point comes back and not on some sort of pitch count? Mm-hmm. If he comes back, then you do have all the weapons that you hope for and a quarterback who can make all the throws that, that you could ever ask for. With, with Cousins, we've seen everything. We've seen rockets to the sidelines. We've seen 68-yard bombs. I mean, he's done everything. So I, I think that they do have the ability to compete with some of these teams and the only thing they're going to have to do is make sure that they protect him and don't turn the ball over with fumbles. And make sure they can overcompensate at times for if anything does go wrong down the stretch. What the, the pockets of things that we've seen with Kirk Cousins, being able to overcome some of those things if they do become an issue. The late game fumble in, in well, Los Angeles is one of the first things that comes to mind there. The offense didn't lose them that game. Their defense lost them that game because they let the Rams whip them up and down the field. But... When you have things, I mean, the illegal contact, I remember we talked to Harrison Smith about this, and it really related back to the roughing the passer call during training camp or really preseason, where he kind of said this same thing, that, you know, there's a third down sack that's going to get negated by the helmet rule, by, by, you know, a roughing the passer call. And, you know, there's one crew in particular, the one that called the Vikings game in Philadelphia that called more illegal penalty more illegal contact penalties than any other crew. And I just kind of, you know, we're asking defenders to change so much about the way that they play the game when it comes down to something like this, and it's a play that Richard Sherman said, I have to be better. I mean, he gave me the outside release and we just kind of ran into each other. I have to be better. What honestly, what can you be that What's you much- gonna do? I don't know. I mean, it was the right call. Age? I'm with I'm with Collar. It was the right, right call. But what more can he do? Because I just don't know for defensive backs, you're making it impossible. And whether when you throw in the the first two penalties that I've been talking we've been talking about all season long with roughing the passer and helmet rule, and now this, I mean, I don't think this is the first time. And in, in, we talked, there was several in this whole, not just the related to uh, legal contact, but the offensive PI call. In um, I believe it was the Bengals and and Steelers game, and the Vikings had one too. I mean, there's some calls out there this past weekend that I'm still, you know, we're still seeing a lot on on social media, you know, being brought up about it. And I think it's, you know, there were several games that were decided, uh, you know, throughout this season by these calls that I just think are, you know, a little unnecessary. I think to your point, and 
well, both of your points, that you are going to get in games like the Rams game or like even the Eagles were able to come back and score like what we saw from San Francisco because that's just the league and all those penalties that you're talking about and all the advantages that the offense has. So if the Vikings are going to be a Super Bowl team, they're going to have to do it by putting up those big offensive numbers and competing that way because that's the setup. If they're going to rely on the defense to get them to the NFC Championship game right. like they did last year, that's going to be pretty darn tough to do. The interesting thing to me, too, defensively is this. If I if I am a, a high school athlete and I, let's say, play basketball and cornerback and I, and I have the potential to play defense, Division one college and then pro. I'm going to play start, wide receiver. I'm, yeah, that's what I, I was going to say. Though I'm going to start thinking long and hard about okay, if I have the potential to be a defensive back or a pass rush end, but now I'm seeing rules where if I'm a pass rush end and I hit the quarterback and I I use 68.7 percent of my body weight on said quarterback, that's a penalty. Or or if I am a cornerback and I'm trying to play, you know, press coverage and I can do it for five yards and that's it. I'm saying to myself, yeah, I'm going to play receiver in football or go play basketball. Like I, I don't know when, when you watch th- these games now, I don't see what the incentive is to say, you know what I'd like to do when I grow up play defense. Cause everything that you probably are being taught is now basically be- being told, okay, you can do it. But at least a percentage of the time, we're going to throw a flag on that. The interesting thing coming out of the Eagles game that we found out on Saturday were that the two penalties, the you know the big penalties against Michael Bennett and Andrew Sandejo, neither of those two got fined for roughing the passer for Bennett and for the un, the unnecessary roughness for Sandejo. That to me tells me the league is looking at some of these calls and determining, well, that was probably the wrong call in the game. And I mean, that roughing the passer call allowed, you know, paved way for the Vikings to go down and score. And that it's changing, it's changing like the the landscape of how games are decided. And I don't think that's I don't I don't know. I'm with you, Judd. I think Do you that, like it or no? No, I don't. I don't. I think See, that, I can't decide because the one thing is is secretly I say to myself but if a quarterback gets hurt and I've got to watch three second string quarterbacks, you know, then 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 the incentive to sit down and watch a game as a fan is gone. So I'm very torn here because I'm I'm with you, Courtney, on the fact that on the surface I don't like it. But then if I say, but let's say three guys get hurt and they're good players and now they're replaced by some schleps who stink and I gotta watch them, <laughs> I'm not pleased about that. So I don't I'm think- torn here. I don't think you minded when Lindsey Pepkins came into the game last year when the Packers lost like 20 cornerbacks um, in week six. That's that's Judd's favorite player. But no, I mean, there's also (laughs) a lot of stoppage time in games now because of these calls that I think, you know, people talk about the length of the NFL game and, you know, all the commercial breaks for TV and broadcast and everything else. I mean, that's kind of making the game not have as much flow as it did before. Isn't it weird that what happened last year with the Vikings with Case Keenum winning 13 games or whatever, I mean, 12, 
uh, and the Vikings having the defense just guide them the whole way along in a miracle play. But even for the most part, they would have been run onto the building if the defense in that uh, division game wasn't as good as it was in the first half against Drew Brees, and then he just went Drew Brees in the second half. But either way, a, a magical, wonderful story that we've seen a couple of times in Minnesota where a nobody quarterback just guides a great team, maybe weapons, maybe defense, whatever it is. It feels like overnight that possibility just went off went out that can't happen now like just in one year it feels like you can't have a journeyman because everything relies so much on you putting up 30 points a game for every team to win and even look at the jaguars i mean they won games last year where their defense was just so dominant and now because of their trash boy quarterback that they decided to bring back instead of trading for Teddy Bridgewater, which I will never understand. Well, they're they're morons. But they, but they can't do it again. D- Dallas, everyone's making fun of Dallas's offense, and they put up 40. You like, know what, Anyone can put up 40 any week. The Jacksonville Jaguars are the poster child of what this league has no interest in showcasing. We play great defense. Okay, that's fantastic. Who's your quarterback? Blake Bortles. Get the bleep out. Off my TV screen. And I'm a little surprised that Tom Coughlin, who's kind of running that show right now, that he didn't look at going to this past offseason and say, you know what, let me go get, let me at least bring somebody in to push Blake Bortles and challenge him in case if he falls flat on his face, we got somebody to step in. We don't have Chad Henney or whoever the hell it is backing It's Cody in. Kessler, man. Oh, God. Cody Kessler. Well, they didn't even try. Oh. This started two weeks before free agency even started. It was a Saturday night in February, like the 23rd, that they were the first domino to fall in the pre-free agency, free agency period (laughs) where they re-signed it. We call it legal tampering, okay? Yes, exactly. But that made no sense to me when that happened. I just remember thinking, I was like, why why are they so quick to jump the gun to re-sign Blake Bortles? I know. But this this oh, league yes, this league awesome. now looks at the Jaguars and they they look at Zim and we say defensive masterminds, right? And the league says, "Yeah, but we don't want that." This is this is the anti-Zim league now. And th- and this is why it was right to get Kirk Cousins. Yes. I mean that that even though we wondered about the money that they were spending on a guy who was going to be flawed and was not going to be Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees, now, with different perspective, with how much the league changed overnight, now it's like, well, if you were still trying to win with a mediocre quarterback, even if you stacked up some of the other positions, you probably wouldn't be able to do it, even just one year later. Especially if you're needing to, what's the average right now, somewhere around 32 a game? That's mm-hmm. among, yeah. among, at least I'm trying to think, among the top 10 teams. It's wow. nuts. The Vikings, right. are, I think I, I, t- I tweeted it this morning. They're somewhere around like top 15 in scoring currently. Let me look. Um, yeah, they're seventh. This is what their stats are through week seven offensively, which I just think is kind of nuts when you take a look at, you know, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback in the output that they've gotten in seven weeks. 10th in total offense, which is 391 yards passing a game. Okay, it's normal for the NFL. 8th in passing, 3rd in completion percentage, 9th in passer rating, and 19th in scoring at 23.3 a game. 19th! Are they 19th? Yeah, isn't that nuts? Oh, I didn't know they were that low. That's interesting. But I mean at 23.3 points a game. like One of the things is they haven't really finished drives. Yeah, that's true. If you look at their scoring percentage per drive, like they've put up all those numbers in yards, but they've had to settle for field goals many times. And then there was not so much help 
from the field goal kickers either. But they <laughs> they, they have had plenty of drives where they moved you lots nice of yards. Yeah, they they moved lots of yards and were not able to get touchdowns out of those big drives. And I, I think that's where the disparity comes in. Plus, I mean, not having the running game either mm-hmm. hurts them in the total points category until True. last Sunday. But I think that speaks to a bigger point of just the production that they've been able to generate. Like a lot of teams that don't have run games right now just shows you to really the, what this is, is a passing league. I mean, look at these numbers and, and they're not even, I mean, numbers that high. Yep. Like they're that low in the standings. That's the crazy part. Right. Like the quarterback is on pace to have the best yard season ever, and they're 19th in scoring. But he's one of like, like four or five, right? right? Exactly. That, that, I mean, that record's going to be shattered about five times. That's where we probably going to be shattered by the bye week. That's why you couldn't have Case Keenum in this situation. That maybe it was even reasonable to talk about it in the off season, like oh, just do the same thing, be the number one defense, protect the football, you know, run it with Delvin Cook. But now there's just no way you you just can't go back and forth with these. Great quarterbacks and these great offenses and the rules, you can't beat that without having a top-notch quarterback. TCL Broadcast Studio, so much more football to come. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? (laughs) It's pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. All kinds of time. He's going to run it. They have no timeouts remaining, and he gets a chunk play out of it. 19 seconds remain. Here's Rodgers. Time of the essence. Here's the out route, and out of bounds is Adams. Rodgers to the other side, and he does it. My, oh, my. Equinemius St. Brown. Crosby stands by. Waiting for his chance. Under 10 to play. Rogers wants more and he gets it to Vontae Adams. So many pressure kicks. And now this. 27-yard game-winning field goal for the veteran. Question for you, Judd Zolged and Courtney Cronin. Um, Joe Tessitore, Jason Witten, Booger McFarlane. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is just the case because it's Twitter.com and I'm pulling from a weird sample of human beings. Just the thousand or fifteen hundred or so that I follow on Twitter. Sample size. It could be an issue in asking you this question, but I'll ask you anyway. Are people are killing them on Twitter mm-hmm. every Monday night through the whole game? Is my Twitter telling me how terrible this broadcast is? And I think it's been okay that it's sort of just been a normal football broadcast. It has not changed my life. It, uh, Jason Witten has not reminded me of Tony Romo, which I think that's what they were going for. He hasn't uh, been, you know, John Madden and changed the entire game and how we do football broadcasts. The Booger McFarland thing where he's up on some sort of platform is a little strange. I love it. But I think it's just been a fine NFL broadcast. And I. I see them just getting demolished. So how do we feel about it? And Courtney, if you don't want to slam your employer, that's fine. Well, I will say the one thing that I love uh, the most of the entire new setup, the personnel on the bottom left-hand corner where they tell you if they're in 21 personnel or 12 personnel, Mm. that for me being, you know, football, got to eat, eat, um, that makes me happy. 
That's that, it. That's, that's it. That's that's it. That's <laughs> it. Oh, to, I, I was, I'm I was waiting, waiting for John for, to play the drop. I was waiting for more potentially. Well, I was waiting for you to oh, do the okay. drop. But I mean, the Booger McFarland thing. I just think it's kind of interesting. You know those sideline cameras where the guy's like sitting, and then like there's it's on wheels. And yeah, yeah. I, I kind of wish he was on one of those. Like moving around. Like moving with, around with on the, play. the sideline. <laughs> I would love that. Football. Football. Yeah. 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 So, so, all right. So, so is it? Is it? Are you ripping your ears out, Judd, or are you just whatever? It's fine. This is why I didn't like the, the fact, and I was proven completely wrong here, of Romo being immediately promoted to the top team on CBS last year, mm-hmm. because I said at the time that's a very difficult assignment, and there's people who have worked a long time on the B teams to eventually get that chance. Now Tony came in, and I loved him. I loved him because he trampled on Jim Nance constantly, which is fantastic. <laughs> Jim was trying to give his opinion, and then Tony was like, well, I'm, I'm a good guy, but I really don't care what Jim Nance thinks, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to talk, and I thought he was outstanding. But as a rule, I've never understood why a guy who retires, who is candid with us, is given that job. Mm-hmm. Jason Witten would have been fine probably in the studio if he had joined Fox or CBS. He probably would have been just fine trying to learn as a number three or four team guy. So I think the I think the frustration is he's not yet very good. It's a process, but he's been put in a national spotlight, unfairly to him, mm-hmm. where we consistently get to hear him sort of struggle at times. I don't blame him, but this is why I think you usually should hire somebody with the experience. I think that when somebody has not ever done it before, and maybe they have the potential to be great. You put them in that situation that everyone just expects that the broadcast is just going to go off flawlessly and be incredible from the get-go because it's a new team and it's exciting. And then they get criticized so much that they just make a change. I mean, that that's I, I'd like to see it just continue to play out and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Because I think it has the potential to be quite good, but it's not there yet. And I think that they would even say that. That they would even say, trying to figure out when Booger McFarlane's going to talk from down there and and figure out how much Witten is going to say and all those sorts of things. I mean, these are things that take, I I believe, a, a long time to be able to have. And then, you know, you have somebody like Jim Nance and Romo. Now they've worked together for a while, and it's like a well-oiled machine, and some are all in Madden for a long time. That didn't just, like, happen on the yeah. third day. Like, John Gruden and Sean McDonough, like, that chemistry is not something that, as you said, it's built overnight. I mean, you know how much broadcast training that takes? Like, for these guys, I mean, for, for someone like Jason Witten to go out to Bristol, and that's hours and weeks and days and weeks of, you know, going through, you know, you watch, I, the way that this happens is you watch you go through mock broadcasts the entire time and it's I a want pa- a mock. It's a painstaking process. Do you know to- that? No. Do you know the mock thing? What? I want to mock our so- the song? The, no? the mock draft song. It's terrible. Don't okay, worry about I'm it. I'm sorry I interrupted. Don't terrible. <laughs> Matthew, be quiet and allow Courtney to finish, please. Okay, sorry. Man interrupting the woman. That never happens. Um, no. Well, let but- me explain broadcasting <laughs> to you, Courtney Cronin. Exactly. I was just trying to say I'm the a man. Mock I've been song. around this a long time. Let me explain the business. I didn't know she didn't know the mock song. That's fine. I mean, there's just there's so much that goes into it that people don't understand. And, you know, yes, I think it's always good to have fresh voices in there. And the opportunity obviously opened the door once John Gruden decided he wanted to get back into coaching. But I think there was a reason Peyton Manning's name was thrown around for so long, uh, kind of as, you know, a hot candidate to get this job because he's, you know, He's done the media thing before. He's done public speaking, which, yes, players and media interviews and and the stuff that you do weekly, that's not 
talking for four hours on Monday Night Football. I mean, it, I'm sure it took Randy Moss a long time to become just an analyst where you're doing mm-hmm. that for pockets every single game. You're not talking constantly as a color commentator. I mean, that's tough. Um, the setup's unique. I do think that, you know, having almost two sideline reporter type things between Booger McFarlane and Lisa Salters is unique and interesting. Uh, we'll see if it lasts beyond this, but, you know, it's... They're trying, and I think you know. Th- thankfully for for ESPN, they've got a better slate of Monday night games yes. this many weeks in than they did last year. Last year was atrocious. People also just love to kill the broadcast, right? I mean, it just yeah. it's it's like a pastime where people just turn it up and listen as close as they can to everything. And if there's like the slightest mistake, they just let loose. Like ah, I got him. I caught Witten saying something by accident. I think he said last night, pulled a rabbit out of his head. Yeah, he and then he tweeted hat. he tweeted it out himself and <laughs> did like the face palm emoji or whatever, and it was giving himself a hard time. You only you only good. get one shot at it, right? Yeah. But, so, but I, there's but the, these guys, if if they put Witten on like a fourth team, he could develop. Yeah, this is really tough. Time. They yep. put him. They basically took him from like single. Was he even in single A? He just went no. He went from like. I don't know, undrafted the worst, to the worst the of, World Series. Of my lifetime, I think, though, it was poor Joe Montana, who they put in the NBC booth, I think, with the top team in like circa 1993. And Joe Montana is as boring as this table. It was awful. And you felt bad for him because he had no chance. I, uh, I'm not disappointed that Courtney didn't know the I Want to Mock song. I'm just disappointed that she didn't know that uh, the Mighty Ducks trilogy was a Minnesota thing. You know, I'm never going to live that down. I'm no, sorry, you're Manny. Not. No, you're not. Why'd you admit that? Well, I didn't realize it would be as big of a thing as it was. Cause oh, it's massive. So our one of our late night sports center producers said, hey, can you get some sound on the cleats? Because I guess that they had seen the picture of his Mighty Duck cleats. And so I asked him, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's a Minnesota thing. I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. Like, I had no idea. And my naivete was just kind of like, just, you know, in my head thinking, oh, other people are going to think this is neat. You know, it's um, maybe I could learn something. And apparently people didn't. Apparently people thought that I was, you know, just opening, you know, a gigantic middle finger to to the state of Minnesota, uh-huh. which, I, which I was not. Um, you can admit you were. That's fine. I absolutely was not. And I'll watch the movies. I have no issue doing that. I was just so grossed out by that shaving cream scene in D2 in like 1996 <laughs> when it came out or whatever that I just stopped watching. I didn't watch the third one. I'm I have never seen a full one. Okay, well. But I'm old, so I've, I've got, got a good excuse for why I haven't seen a Mighty Ducks film. I just wasn't into it. I watched Space Jam. I watched a lot of guy. basketball movies growing up. It was BS. That movie was BS. I'll <laughs> put a middle finger to that movie right now. Now they're going to come after you, Jack. I don't care. I look forward BS. to your column. Zolgad colon Mighty Ducks was overrated then, and it remains <laughs> overrated. We'll come back and wrap things up. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokely. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic uh, before we wrap with Royce here. It's brought to you by Better Business Bureau. 94 Westbound, uh, we have that crash uh, between Cedar Avenue and Highway 55. 29 minutes to your uh, added to your commute. Join Better Business Bureau at the Torch Awards for Ethics. at BBB's Torch Award embodies Better Business Bureau's mission of advancing trust in the marketplace. 14 businesses will be honored at U.S. Bank Stadium October 24th. Purchase tickets at bbb.org slash Minnesota.
Purple Live coming up next, top of the hour with uh, Collar, Cronin, and Manny. But first, a time to uh, wrap up today's show by wrapping with Royce. Hello, sir. How are you today? I am just fine. Your thoughts on on the uh, the 49ers' inability to stop Aaron Rodgers from moving down the field at will last night. I was watching that defense. That was, I mean, he's great. Don't get me wrong. But that was absolutely brutal on their part. Yeah, it was. But I thought the skids made some pretty good catches for him. Uh, you know, his best receiver played, Devontae Adams. But everybody else were guys off the street, including a guy named Aquanimus. Who made a nice Equinemius, Patrick. Equinemius. Close enough. Equinemius or whatever the hell. You weren't studying was. his draft tape? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, he made that catch. And he made a nice catch on the sideline there. And they made some good catches, but uh, I do love the fact that all Viking fans are upset that they called the uh, holding penalty on, uh, on uh, whatchamacallit, uh, German, who does that on every play, I admit. But what was not holding about that, for goodness sake? Well, he spun him around, wrapped, too. Yeah, they're, they're going to call that. Wrapped him up. Yes. I mean, but the Viking fans cannot convince themselves uh, of that Rodgers is good. It's just he gets every call and stuff like that. By the way, uh, I heard today on, uh, I think, the uh, ESPN Morning Show that they are, when Rodgers plays like the last three years or something, they're a minus ninety one in the in the first three quarters and a plus one oh five in the fourth quarter or something like that. Some mm-hmm. some gaudy stat like that with the Packers for so many I, mean, I I didn't quite catch how long the stretch is, but it's uh it's a couple well, obviously not last year because he didn't play hardly at all, but uh last two, three years or something like that. So that's uh, pretty amazing. There's been a few of those comebacks. Oh yeah. Now, hey, what what's your thought? Is this Butler Wolves thing going to work for a while, or is this thing just per, uh, percolating to a classic blow up in a week and a half or something? Well, I can't imagine that. I know that these guys all played together last year, but I can't imagine they're going to be worth a damn for a couple of weeks. They haven't played. They didn't play together all summer. By every other team was getting together. They didn't. They call up. They had to call off what three out of six practices because they didn't want anybody to ask him about Jimmy Butler. I mean, they're the season starting. They were awful in the exhibition seasons. They're really not organized. Uh, I I can't imagine they're going to get off to a decent start. Uh, I, I haven't really studied the schedule. I know Cleveland's here Friday. You better win that game. Yeah, but, it's uh, it's not an easy start, Patrick. There's uh, LeBron James mixed in there a couple of times, I think, and uh, the Warriors are mixed in early in the first 11, 12 games or so, so it's not going to be e- an easy start for them. Yeah, and uh, you know, I just can't imagine they're going to play decent basketball. But to me... The whole, you know, everybody, Butler, 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 the whole season is determined by Wiggins. If he stinks, or if he's not uh, about three notches better this year than he was last year, uh, it's going to be a disaster. Well, you know what? You know what I'm happy about, Patrick, is that now we get to focus on Butler and not why Tyus Jones isn't playing more minutes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, well. Uh, you know, people acting surprised that they didn't give him a... Why in God's name would you give him an extension from what you've seen so far? He couldn't guard me to start with. And, well, you're uh, a pretty you crafty know, player, he's a, Pat. He's a, he's a, a second hyphen third team uh, point guard. He's, uh, he's uh, a very mediocre 
uh, point guard. And the idea that, you know, we just like him because he's from here and he comes in and plays in garbage time and gets a couple of baskets and we think he's a deadly shooter. Uh, that's, uh, but, but, but the fact I, I am going to enjoy Derek Rose playing 18 minutes and Tyus playing six just to hear Viking. I bet Timberwolves fans whine. That'll be fun. I think, I think on and Friday, then, Tibbs is going to get Tyus, royally booed Tyus, too. Then Tyus will hit a jump shot. Everybody, why doesn't Tyus play more? He's fantastic. You wait for Friday yeah. night, Patrick. Your guy's going to get absolutely booed by I that entire so. place. Yeah, I think he will. I think he, everybody knows that, and Butler will get it too. And, uh, you know, so, you know what? There's interest. <laughs> That's true. There's, there's interest, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember. Uh, I, 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 when, a, when a home team will be, I can't remember the last time a home team will be treated as badly as they're going to be treated Friday night. I, I, I would have to uh, think about it. All right. Talk to you, to you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow, Roycey. Bye. 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 Purple Live with Matthew Keller and Courtney Cronin up next. We're done.